I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode zero, the pilot of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm here with uh, Miguel Delaney, the chief football writer of The Independent. Miguel, say hello. Hello. I'm with Jack Pitbrook, one of our London football writers. Hello. I didn't tell you to say hello, but hello to you. And I'm Ed Malian, the sports editor. And I will be hosting our podcast today, which mainly focuses on transfers. It's uh, still a while to go till the season starts, but we're getting all the action. Um, and today's biggest story, Miguel, Kylian Mbappe, Real Madrid, yes or no? Yeah, it looks like it's going to happen. Um, I mean, widespread reports from Spain that they've agreed a fee. I think, to be honest, it's been kind of mooted all summer as well. But Monaco denied it, though. Um, well, I mean, they've denied the story that they've accepted a bid, hasn't right. it? I mean, but I mean, I, th- I think that's that's fair enough to do, given that um, everything's still in negotiation, and, and also they're, they're trying to negotiate as, as hard as possible as well. I mean, it it does feel like all summer it's been kind of building up to this in terms of kind of little pieces being moved, particularly in terms of Real, because I think the really interesting thing about this transfer is, where if it does happen, which we expect it to, is that all given the amount of money in the Premier League. Everyone expected one of the Premier League sides to, to break the world record this year, but it's going to be Madrid, and they've done that despite the fact that they haven't actually had that much disposable cash. They've done it by actually taking advantage of Premier League money by selling on all these players. So that's, I mean, that's what I mean by I suppose all these pieces have been moved into place to essentially clear the path for Mape to come. And sorry, sorry, Jack, to interrupt. The, the interesting thing, obviously, there as well is that the Real Madrid have altered their transfer policy to buying from instead of buying the, the Galacticos at their peak. They are now buy, trying to buy guys who are going to be the world superstars. Like they've tried to get Donnarumma, who we think will be one of the next big goalkeepers in the world, and they've gone for Mbappe. They've already got Asensio and Isco when they were young guys. Like, how do you think they've come to the idea that this is the way of, of doing things? Well, it's amazing because they, they're buying Mbappe into a squad where they already have Benzema in place, which suggests that they're spending €180 million Euros on a player who might not even be first choice. So you're right, it, it is a very different direction for them and it's also I mean it underlines what we've seen from the Champions League in the last three or four mm. years which is that ultimately when it comes to the really really big ticket stuff the big Premier League clubs can't really compete with Real Madrid No Real Madrid are they are the biggest club in the world I think it's fairly clear they've been in, in three of the last four Champions League finals and their pull is huge if you've ever been to Latin America you, you mm. see just how big that club is um, but I've seen a lot of people complaining about playing time do you think that's yeah. a bit of a bit of a red herring considering they they play more games mm, every season than yeah. anyone else N- but not necessarily I mean I think the one the first thing about it is you, you mentioned the kind of the pull around Madrid and what is what feels so almost absurd about it is that just that the strength and depth I mean already there was already towards the end of last season there was already a big debate about how the BBC Bale, Benzema and, and Cristiano Ronaldo were already being kind of broken up because you couldn't keep Isco out of the team there's already been this growing debate about Bale I mean it led to, it led to kind of the ludicrous situation where James who just three years ago was almost in the same situation as Mape, if maybe, if obviously a bit older. And, and the most wanted player on the he was, Yeah, and, he, and it's easy to forget just how exciting James Rodriguez looked then. 
Um, so he couldn't even get on get onto the bench for the Champions League final. So they have to. I mean, if any of those players drop out, they have an absurdly good player to come in. And that's almost one of the more frustrating things actually about this transfer from a European perspective. That if you put Mape in pretty much any other team in the world, maybe by Barcelona. Or any other team in Champions League would instantly make them potential competitors for. I mean, look look what he did at Monaco, despite the general strength of their, of their team. So, for a player like that to suddenly be absorbed into what is already such a strong team, I, I think it actually is bad for the competitors in the Champions League. But then it just shows how Real are operating in this position of absolute strength. In terms of his career, I actually think it would have been better for Mape to go somewhere else first and maybe give it two or three years until until Real Madrid. And, and indeed, uh, on independent.co.uk slash football, you'll find a piece Miguel wrote doubting whether he should go to Real Madrid, whether that was the best thing for his career. But also uh, the piece about Real Madrid becoming the, the transfer mm. kings and playing the Premier League for their wealth. But Jack wrote something uh, about Monaco and how they're re- restocking after losing all these guys. They've lost who now? Benjamin Mendy, Tiumi, uh, Timu Bakayoko. They've lost uh, Bernardo, Bernardo, Silva. Bernardo Silva as well, of course. Mbappe, um, it's a lot of players to lose. How on earth do they restock? Well, they've bought good players. Like they've bought um, Congolo from Feyenoord. They've mm-hmm. bought T. Elements, Mandelect. They've bought. Uh, He's incredibly highly rated. Yeah, mm, yeah they've yeah. bought uh, a guy called Jordi from Barcelona. So they have they have bought good young players, but you know, no sort of five or six young players can fill the gap of like six first team players who just won the league together, yeah. who've been playing there together for two or three seasons. And therefore, I mean, I know that they did this three or four years ago, you know, when they sold all those players in 2015 and then brought in new guys. I don't see how they can repeat it again, just because they simply don't have the numbers in. Like, they don't have enough good players to play for them next season. Also, even beyond that, it's also how the chemistry of a team works. I mean, all these players, even though they're so young, they just immediately clicked. And you can't bank on that always. Be It's why this sort of thing is usually unsustainable and why clubs eventually start to drift away. I mean, obviously their policy is admirable in what they're trying to do, but there'll always be a certain amount of hit and miss to it. And I think while the, while the business has been good, it, 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 I think it is, it's depressing that a team has actually been ripped apart this quickly. I think, I think if, you, if you look through European history, I, I can't, like, they got to one semi-final. Didn't, didn't, like, I've, I've, ne- I've never seen a side that do, gorgeous. Do you not think perhaps that the thing is that they just overachieved so badly last season because no one even at Monaco would have thought that they were going to win the league last mm-hmm. year and get, and get to the Champions League semi-final as they did. They've got they, Mendy was signed last year. He signed mm. a five-year contract last year after arriving from Marseille. He just signed a five-year contract mm. with Manchester City. Like they weren't maybe thinking that this was going to happen so soon. And a couple of those players. Now you find, I think, clubs realise when they're going to sell players, mm-hmm. and and they kind of can plan it two or three years out. Like, oh well, the, his contract situation at this point will be that this is when he's going to have to go. Monaco, it all came too soon, and some of those guys were in a position where like this was going to have to be their summer because if Monaco want to get the value for these players and not lose out on that value in the future then they just needed to cash in as in you think there's an element of freak to last season and they just they, it's, they're cashing in on that, on that freak element well I think you've got to say that they they overachieved based on their own expectations as well as everyone mm. else's expectations is that fair Jack? I think so but it also speaks to the kind of how sped up all these processes yeah, yeah. are in modern football that now a team can can like rise peak and then be shredded mm-hmm. uh, within like within two years of coming together. Yeah, like they're so early on in their life cycle. Like lots of these guys themselves are in their early twenties. And what it also shows is that like the personal wealth of an owner is no barrier to to getting taken For apart. Sure. Like yeah. Dmitry sure, Rybolovlyev yeah. is one of the richest men in the world. He's worth like billions and billions and billions. And even then. He ultimately, he might want to keep the players, but if the players want to go, he can't not sell them. And that's a better way of, of mm. to be honest, I think it's a better way of running a club is if you're 
just going to make the profits where they're there to be made rather than relying on an investor or owner to just plummet, like, just plummet more money into like a black hole, which is essentially really what a lot of the bigger mm. clubs are doing now. Um, and that kind of brings me to uh, one of the other things I like about Mbappe is that Monaco have made sure that he's not gone to Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> They yes. made a big play, a big, big, big play to try and get him and make him the centre of their project. They made a big play to sign Neymar, which we'll get onto later, and, and try and make him the centre of their project. And the other guy they're looking at is Alexis Sanchez. This is one of the big quandaries for them. They can either sell him for, say, £60 million this summer, or they keep him and they lose him for nothing next year. On the spot, what would you do if you're Arsenal? <laughs> um, I actually think I'd dig in if I was Wenger and not sell because I think uh, for a few reasons I mean we, we, we did a piece in it yesterday and we touched on it a bit I think, for, for, I think most of all actually beyond all the economic concerns it is almost like given, given that Wenger just has two, potentially two or three years left if we do think this is the last contract although at this point who knows with him he does need to like, he, he's desperate to prove everyone wrong given the debate the last two years and if he immediately goes back to one of the main reasons that, that has that, that kind of undercut so many of his teams over the last few years of just immediately of, of selling their best player with the pressure's really on, then it, it just it's beyond sending the wrong the wrong message, creating the wrong vibe. It actually it just fundamentally weakens Arsenal's team because in a year when they when they have to get back to the Champions League pretty much because I think they have to even in terms of who they can bring in next summer, what players they can replace Sanchez with, it, it, it would just immediately undermine that. But Jack, if if you're in the same situation, you, you buy or you sell, or do you hold on to it? Yeah, well, I mean, as long as it's not my money, I think Miguel's mm. right. Like the the one question that Arsenal fans always ask themselves going into any mm. season is, is this season going to be any different? Yeah, we've had the same season ten years in a row. Is this one going to be any mm. different? And this is such. This would be such a powerful w- way for Wenger to show that this was in fact going to be different. Yeah, yeah. Because he's been in this situation before with Van Persie. Uh, he's buckled every ago. time. But, know what but doesn't it completely cement them as one of the kind of the second tier elite clubs if he walks away for free? Mm. No, I think we, no. I don't think it does. And I think for years Arsenal fans have been saying, you know, I've never seen a balance sheet score a goal. I've never seen yeah, money true. in the bank score a goal. That kind of thing. You know, what Arsenal fans would, I think Arsenal fans would love to see someone putting the interests of the football team ahead of the interests of the money, and that's what they haven't had for years. And this is Wenger's chance to show that he's doing that. Also, what if, um, and because this might be an element of speculation, but this is what ultimately football is about and what we should be planning for. What if Arsenal do start a season well and are in a similar situation to where, say, in 2013-14, where by December, by, by comes to the time when, when Sanchez has to look at that contract, they're actually top of the table. It's not impossible. So, so you both think you both think they should dig in, but what do you expect to happen, Miguel? Um, just give... <laughs> there's so much talk about it's going to be different Wenger this time that he... Um, First he, of September, he, is he there, yes or no? Oh my God, it's probably the Wenger buckle again. Jack? Yeah, I th- the big question is, how pushy is Alexis willing to be mm-hmm. to force it? Is he going to go on strike? Yeah. Will he refuse to play? Well, we know, we know for a fact, we know that he wants to join City. Yes. City are yes. very confident that that could happen. He's priced everyone else out of it. He's willing to take less money than Arsenal. Arsenal offering the, the biggest contract they've ever offered to a player. By far, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he's no interest in renewing at the moment. So... <clears throat> In that scenario, it does seem like he is keen to make something happen. You're right. You know, what extent is he willing to go on strike? Is he willing to do these things? I don't know. But you think he will go? I think he'll. Yeah, I agree with Miguel. I just think that there will be too much pressure from Sanchez on Wenger. 
So I, I think he'll. I, think I, I probably will take more pressure from City as well. To be fair, I think that that's yeah. one thing Arsenal, that you've heard come from Arsenal as well at the moment. That they're kind of doubting the seriousness of City's interest. Probably it's probably to do with the price, but City probably ultimately have to make Arsenal sort of offer that they can turn down. Yeah, it would have to be a beyond market rate offer. Like yeah, it's, you know, I don't know, seventeen plus million pounds. And and do we see Manchester City doing that? I mean, let's be honest. They've offered over market value for a lot of players in the past, but this this feels a little different because you know that he is available next summer. I don't know. I think I think they are willing to go all the yeah. way. Like they're so desperate to win now. I mean, I think we might come onto it later, but I remember back in about May being told that City had planned to spend three hundred million pounds this summer. With one so big f- signing. Yeah, yeah. So far they're on about two hundred twenty-five. Another seventy-five takes you <clears> up to three hundred. Yeah. So I think it, you know, it's if they want to do it, it's there for them to do. So they both both of the guys here think that Alexis should be uh, held against his will, as it were, but both think he is going to leave. The big the big problem, I suppose, there is if PSG don't get Alexis, they haven't got Mbappe, mm. they don't get Neymar, PSG are going to go out and try and get someone. What do you think about their summer? Well, it's particularly that sort of forward. It's actually quite a small market. I, mean, I think there are a lot of forwards available, not the really elite band. Um, did I go for Aubameyang? Uh, is he kind of the, w- the one single option then, or, or Bellotti? But Dortmund's supposed a deadline for mm. yeah, Aubameyang has passed. It's actually well, today, apparently. It's on the 25th of July. Um, yeah. Well, well, I mean, and the one all summer is Bellotti. I mean, it's, it's, even when we saw when United and Chelsea were kind of wondering who to go, it came down to four players essentially. Well, actually, actually usually three. It was Sanchez was always there drifting, but, but, but I suppose, I think Chelsea, you know, they went for Sanchez quite early or kind of tested the situation and I think it, was, it was never a start and Arsenal would sell to them. Um, you know, it, There's been a little, a few murmurs about United and Sanchez but it, he has his heart set on um, I'm, I'm working with Guardiola again. And it, it's meant that both have really just been in for Murata, Lukaku and then, and then Bellotti. They, they, they've been the three options. So PSG might be, for, might be forced into that. Uh, and we, we've touched briefly on the fact that your, uh, your man Neymar is probably going to stay at Barcelona. Although, mm. In France, there are still reports that PSG still think they've got a chance. What do you make of that whole saga? Do you think that was just a contract thing? Do you think he was genuinely close to going? I I, I think it was a contract ploy. From from what I've heard from Spain as well, it was a con- it was a contract ploy. Um, but then I suppose the thing about a, a contract ploy like that is you've got to make it believable that you will go, which ultimately it, it involves like Sergio Ramos last summer with Manchester or two summers ago with Manchester yeah, United yeah. You've, got, you've got to make the, uh, the other side believe that this really is on and, and theoretically speaking Jack what if if Neymar had signed what would that have meant for Paris Saint-Germain as a club as an institution and what on earth would it have meant for Barcelona well I think for Barcelona it would be it would be like the worst thing to happen for them to them for the last, like in a sort of sporting level for sort of 10-15 years since Figo left yeah, like the you know this it's is that the, level of humiliation, this, isn't it? Yeah, this is the guy that Sandro Rosé like destroyed his career to sign. He's the guy who is like the future post Messi, uh, who they beat Real Madrid to get. Yeah, and for him to walk out on them to a you know to a club that isn't Real Madrid uh, would be like an unbelievable. Mind you, it would be worse if it was Real Madrid. It, no, you're right. It would be worse. <laughs> but for them, to, like for the, for someone to take basically a downward step to leave mm-hmm. Barcelona just for money would be such a humiliation for them. But for PSG... But for PSG, it would be kind of the culmination of, like, six or seven years. Like, they never... Th- everyone they've got has always been a player, you know, maybe a player who's not who doesn't quite want to be the best player in the world, yeah. like Cavani, or a player like Di Maria, who's kind of on the way down, having had a too bad, exp- a bad experience at Manchester United. They've not really had... You know, how many... 
players of Neymar's age and ability, obviously, you know, as the whole point is, they come along once a generation. Mm-hmm. So for PSG to get him at this age would have been incredible. The, the, the PSG sort of project, uh, it looks like they've decided they need a big name, they need a guy. And it seems to me that it, it does make it harder for them. Like City went out and got Robinho. But everything that's happened since is because they're a club that's in a league. They're in the right environment. Yeah. Uh, they're in a big league. They're in the right environment to create a team like that. Paris Saint-Germain seem to struggle because their major rivals are Monaco-ish, Marseille-ish. Well, it's still ultimately seen as, it's, it's seen as a second-tier league. It is. But, I mean, even though in, a, in a piece of it for the, for the independent last week, when I just got a head from someone who works in Spain, who basically said, the quote, no serious player wants to go to Paris Saint-Germain or France. And it's, it's hard to escape that perception. Cause it's, uh, yeah, it, but would Neymar, would Neymar have changed that? So do you think if Neymar goes to that league, then it improves the league overall? Or is it just going to make PSG like a Bayern Munich level sort of, they're that far ahead of the second best team in the country? I think it's still, still, given that we know about Monaco's model, yeah. And you know that Marseille still Marseille have spent a bit this summer, but it's still Marseille kind of spending in like Premier League ninety five ninety six terms. And they're kind yeah, of, yeah, completely. Um, yeah. Well, it's so they've so, got yeah, Mandanda back. They've got Payet. Yeah, trying yeah. to get Yoan Kabai. It's it's bringing it, the old band back together rather the, than anything yeah, progressive. Yeah, yeah. A little like like when Platt went back to Arsenal ninety five actually. Yeah. Um, but um, I went back to England with Arsenal. But yeah, I think I, it, it, the danger. I mean, I suppose you do need a certain few of those players coming to actually start the stream. But that stream really only goes to PSG for the minute. And then, and then the, other, the other side of it is that a player like that going to PSG is actually bad for French football because of the, of the way it kind of consolidates their power. I mean, it was actually it was one of the refreshing things that Monaco overturned it this year. But then for that immediately responded with the double whammy of Monaco being ripped apart mm. and PSG signing one of the, possibly the next best player in the world. Is uh, you know it's it, it's just it's 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 so kind of demoralising. Yeah, if you look at someone like Julian Draxler, a guy mm. who could have come to any of the big clubs in mm. England, there's so much interest in him. Could have gone to Italy, could have gone to Spain. For him to leave Wolfsburg last year to go mm. to Paris Saint Germain just feels so disappointing. I, I was I was disappointed on a personal level because mm. I think the kid's a great player. I watched him against Real Madrid in the Champions League quarter final, and he ripped Real Madrid apart. And I thought this guy, I mean, like if he plays this well in both legs, mm. he's going to get moved to Real Madrid, let alone anywhere else. So I think when he went to PSG, I mean, Wolfsburg lost out massive on that deal because they held on to him against his will um, and they lost out on a lot of money. He's gone to Paris. He's obviously going to play well. He's obviously going to impress there. But it does feel like perhaps he's lost out a little. I don't know. I mean, that's just in a very obviously an Anglo-centric view for, and we try not to do that. But well, there is no escape in the fact that beyond Barca and, and Real Madrid, the Premier League is where it's at. It's, it's, look, it's where all the managers want to go. Well, what about AC it's, Milan? That, that might what, change, about, what about Italy? I, I think Italy is still seen... Uh, it's got more kind of uh, European pedigree than the French League in terms of how many Champions Leagues won. Um, and it has, so it has more fame in that sense and the clubs are bigger. But I, t- I still think it has a little bit of a perception problem. And even it, it, the, the quality of football isn't seen as up to the standards I, of the I top I think it has a slight kind of uh, Bayern Munich syndrome as well. Yeah. Like having one team which is yeah. like bigger, better, richer, stronger, better run, signs mm. better players than everyone else. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And we think that Inter and Milan hopefully. I, I'm going to call it resurgence. They haven't played a game yet. Mm-hmm. But Inter and Milan's resurgence and, and Napoli continuing to improve under Sarri, who's a very mm. impressive coach, perhaps that that might make Sarri more of a, an interesting league. Well, yeah, I, think, I think they'll be fine eventually. I mean, if you, look at, you know, if you look at City, for example, if you have that much money, eventually you'll get it right. Like yeah. Eventually you'll appoint the right people. Eventually yeah. you'll sign the right people. And it look, I mean, from the outside, it looks to me like Milan are probably closer there than Inter. Inter have been getting it wrong quite a yeah, lot over yeah. the last two or three years. Uh, and yeah, they probably will be good eventually. But until then, I think it, Italy still has a quite a lot of catching up to do. I think European football needs it, though. It, need, like, it's, it needs a stronger Italian. League. Yeah, because I mean, that because even I don't, I don't pick out Italy just because that history and because, you know, oh, they deserve it just because it's because they're one of the biggest countries and one of the on one of the existing biggest leagues. So they're actually one of the only possible counterweights. Because I mean, what's happened in European football over the past few years ultimately and why the Ajax has fallen away, the Celtics, one of the Benficas have fallen away, like, teams, teams are traditionally where European powerhouses, it's because the market they're in, i.e. the league they're in, isn't big enough for them to be financial, for, for that financially powerful. Whereas Italy is one of the few countries that can do that. And, 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 and Europe does, the Champions League in particular, does need that kind of diversity and, and variety too, because it has been getting that little bit too samey. E- even though, I mean, one of the best houses of football I've been to in the last you know, few years was the, the, the first half of the Champions League final this year between Juventus and Real Madrid. But even still, that that comes despite just this the, the sense of kind of a slice um, sameness about the Champions League that we're kind of seeing the same ties over again. Yeah. Like we like we've got you know we're never going to go back to the era of mm. Benfica, Celtic, and Ajax yeah. being good. Unfortunately, we're in the Super Club era. But given that we're in the Super Club era, what we need is more Super Clubs. Yeah. Mm. And you know, Ajax and Inter are two of the are two of the few. Sorry. Inter and Milan are two of the few teams who can actually be that. Yeah, they've got the money, they've got the profile, and therefore it's like it's very much in football's best interest that those guys should yeah. become good again. Yeah, like it kind of it dilutes the super clubs then as well, and kind of removes actually right, removes exactly. their power. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll put the uh, the pin in the Champions League conversation here just by saying that the money that's going to come from the Premier League TV deals is going to it's going to it dwarfs basically it dwarfs mm. the Champions League stuff how much do you get for getting in the Champions League in the top four the difference between fourth and fifth is something like 30 million pounds but, but, isn't it like, you know it's not yeah. the same as like what these Premier League teams at the bottom like Burnley are one of you know make one of the biggest mm. profits of any football club in the world yeah. um, which is why I suppose we have kind of had a, a weird summer in the, in the Premier League too mm. to bring in some of those clubs Liverpool we've not mentioned um, they've got two kind of weird deals ongoing uh, Virgil van Dijk wants to go there they, they, they have to be to tread very carefully. <laughs> Nabi Keita wants to go there. They can't get him. What, what do we make of that? Um, well, first of all, I think that the, the, even the fact you mentioned those two deals, particularly, I suppose, the, the Keita deal, given they probably will would have to pay more for him than, than Van Dijk. This has been the very interest, one of those kind of the unintended consequences of all that money. Um, in that it has just meant Europe responding to that money, and also Europe responding to English. English clubs coming in for their players in the way they wouldn't do with club. I mean, if you look at the kind of, the, I suppose, almost mutually convenient deals that Bayern, Real, and Juventus have done between each other this this summer, particularly you know Douglas Costa going to Juve, James Rodriguez going to uh, yeah. going to Bayern, and compare the James to Bayern deal with the uh, 
with the morality. I mean, I know for, I mean, I know for a fact that you, you know, James was, was talked, uh, at, you know, at very high levels about potentially going to United, given Ed Woodward loves a star, and, and James, for, for all what's happened to his career in the past years, remains one of the biggest stars in Latin America. But uh, Real, because purely professional factors United, they would have wanted big money. Whereas with Bayern, they were prepared to do kind of you know a more convenient deal. And it's well, if, if Danilo, if I feel like if Danilo had gone anywhere else, it would have been a much cheaper deal. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, the, the time he's had at Real Madrid, mm. there's no way his value should have gone up from when they signed him. Even yeah. with the, prem, uh, the Premier League premium, I think it, it, it's a wild deal. Uh, Jack, Man City's backline, including Danilo, uh, what do you make of those those transfers? Do you think? It's it's preposterous to send 100, spend 150 million pounds in a summer, or do you think they've just neglected that position? You know, I looked it up, and the last uh, fullback they paid a fee for was Mykon in 2012, 3.1 million pounds. Do you think that justifies the outlay this summer? Um, yeah, I think it does. I mean, in part, all these you know, these fees are all connected. Like City had to pay 50 plus million for Mendy because they paid 50 plus million for Walker, yeah, and that was Monaco's position. And City had to pay 50 plus million for Walker because they needed him. Like, you know, they made it very clear he was the number one choice. He's Premier League experience. He had four years left in his contract. Could they not have just gone and done, done the Mendy deal first? Um, well, Monaco was difficult to, to, of course, to, to, to negotiate. Maybe. Monaco are in strong position as well mm. to negotiate. Monaco don't necessarily need the money. You'd say this summer they've brought in nearly 300 million euros. Um, I think there was there was no way that City were not going to get rid yeah. of this summer. When you have infinite money <laughs> and an obvious desperate need for, like, six top players, which you are very open about, yeah. then, like, yeah. you know... I mean, even in the world of football, people are smart enough to take City for a ride. Even beyond the transfer and economic sense, I think there's an interesting technical thing. I mean, there's so much talk about an inevitable snideness, perhaps, and natural snideness, about uh, Guardiola spending so much in his defence and so much in full backs. But uh, Guardiola doesn't really see them as defensive full I mean, they're actually key to the way this whole City team function. Cause, and I think and the speed of them as well is particularly important. Um and it'll just give the whole City team... I mean, I actually don't, I don't expect City to, to rein it in in terms of their uh, attacking it all next season, because he, but he's bought the players that he, know, he knows that he needs right now to make it function as a Guardiola side does. The only thing I think I'm surprised that City haven't gone for is actually a, def- a defence midfielder, but then I wonder, did Guardiola think there was nothing on the market in that regard? Um, moving away from the incredibly rich clubs, I'd rather look at some of the bargains uh, from this summer. Uh, I'll start you off, I just think... Uh, Sandro to Everton, I think, is one of the best deals in yeah. the summer. Six million euros, five point one million pounds for a player who was the top under twenty one scorer in the Liga last season. He's come through the academy at Barcelona, so he's had some pretty good coaching in his time. Uh, he was the top scorer of any bottom half club, and I feel like it, at Everton he's going to get in better positions. He's going to be a he's a brilliant uh, technical striker of the ball from distance, mm. free kicks, etc. Are there any that have ta- uh, kind of taken your eye, Jack? Uh, I think Nathaniel Chalobah to Watford for five yeah. million pounds is really good, and Will Hughes to Watford. Yeah, for eight for million. About eight. I think. So I think when that's a lovely deal. When Marco Silva went in there, he knew that Watford needed kind of new young players, particularly English players. Mm. I think Watford have lost their identity a little bit over the last few years. Uh, but in Chalobah and Hughes, they got two of the best players from England. How have they got England two 21s. young English players so cheap? Um, I think because they you know they offer quite a good opportunity basically for for the players that want to go there and players see the chance to you know to go into quite a stable environment working with an exciting young manager and and they want to go there and what do you think uh, what those range of outcomes are this season it, it, where are they finishing just just to sort of cry like, I mean Chalaba was also specifically told by Southgate that if he gets regular football he's got a very good chance of making the World Cup well, Southgate loves him yeah, yeah. yeah. Southgate loves him let's not forget that you know, with all due respect, Jake Livermore was in the last England squad. Like, yeah. England are not exactly awash with very good defensive midfielders. Yeah, England, England, Scotland made that clear. They, they, yeah. they need another guy in there, I thought. England have no real alternative to Eric Dyer in that role. 
So all, if Chalaba has as good a season as he can do at Watford, which I'm sure he will do as long as he stays fit, then there's, I'm absolutely convinced he'll be in the World Cup squad next summer. And and Miguel, any other any other cheap ones that have caught you fancy? What do you think of, of Palace getting Jaro Riedewald from Ajax? A couple of years ago, he was supposed to be one of the, the best young players in Europe. Yeah, I mean, again, that probably comes down to the De Boer influence as well. And I, that's, that's, the, that's the the cleverness of pointing the right people beyond that. I mean, and it, it is something you kind of repeatedly think this summer. And especially if I think some of the Premier League clubs that we're talking about here, like, like Palace, like like Watford, Given given the amount of money in it, the real difference could again come by actually appointing the people behind the transfers in terms of directors, in terms of kind of people can make that make the sort of thing happen. Was well, the first uh, Crystal Palace manager who is not from the British Isles, mm. um, and immediately you've seen the impact of that. I think we've seen other coaches come in and do it. Wenger, the obvious one, when he first started. Mm. And I know clubs have got more advanced scouting networks and, mm. and, and techniques now. The video has obviously changed everything completely. But there is still an element of you bring in someone like Frank De Boer and he, he's going to know players yeah, that yeah. can fill, fill the gaps that they've got. And they, and they want to play for him as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, if you're a Dutch kid who's grown up with the name of Frank De Boer, you're going to be keen. Mm. For that. Is there any other any other deal that you'd like to pick out? Actually, actually, I was trying to think. What, what do we what do we think of actually uh, the Foley? Because actually, I've seen that from both. I've seen that uh, very extreme opinions on that from both sides. I think it's expensive and it's too long. But as ten- a contract. I don't. I don't necessarily buy the he buys you goals mm. angle because yeah he scores a lot of them from the penalty spot. But it, but, it, but it could also be kind of even um, because he's no. I think from everything I've heard, he's actually quite a good and very responsible figure at the foe. Um, and we also the praise he got for the, kind of the, the you know the um, how he how he the friendship he struck up with Bradley Rowley and this sort of thing. But he. Um, and I, I, perhaps Howe is looking at it in terms of kind of a, the influencing you do off the pitch as well. For what is quite, sometimes it's been, I mean, they play some lovely football, Bournemouth, and like they have do, obviously done so well in kind of brief time in the Premier League so far, but maybe they, they sometimes do look a little lightweight and maybe they got, need a, that, a little bit of experience as well. Yeah, they are short on top level experience. I think there's some pl- you know, players with that who've done as much as Defoe that's kind of quite hard to come by. Mm. And... and it, I was just re- looking at the kind of all the done deals we've had this summer and, and Everton, obviously everyone's talked about how much Everton have done and there have been a, a few teams that are quieter like like Burnley. Darren Fletcher to Stoke, yeah. free. I mean, that's a guy who plays week in, week out. He's a solid Premier League midfielder. Are you going to do much better than that for free? And especially for a team that had actually... It, I mean, the Stoke story is quite interesting. Right? Stoke, from, Stoke was sneaky dreadful yeah. uh, from the spring onwards. But uh, yeah, a team that in the space of a few years has gone from extremely robust to extremely open and almost, almost uh, too technical, too kind of... Too, too, much, too much creativity, not, not enough uh, stability. And he Fletcher will, will, will offer that. And I think Glenn Whelan just gone to Aston Villa, hasn't he? So yeah. they certainly need a, another, yeah. gro- another yeah. grown-up in central midfield. And, we, and while we're looking at best, I want to look at worst... The most, the biggest overpays this summer. I'll put my nomination straight out there: Marko Anatovic for twenty-three million pounds from Stoke to West Ham. But then weirdly, the I guy's twenty-eight. Uh, that's actually not not that high a fee in England between English clubs. Like, I know, I, mean, I know. How good do you think Marko Anatovic is? Maybe you think he's just much I, I, better I, I, than I, I think he is. I, I've liked him actually every time I've seen him for Stoke. I have to say. I, 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 well, uh, granted, the, la- the last few times I've gone to Stoke, weirdly, any time I've been there, it's like for when they've managed to beat one of the big teams. I've seen them beat City, Chelsea, United. And Arsenal in the last two two years there, and Arnavis generally has been quite impressive. You like uh, it? Um, I'm not so sure I'd pay 25 million for him. But I wouldn't. 
I think it'll be interesting to see just how good Alexandra Lacazette is. Yeah. I think you do have to ask serious questions about someone who at the age of 26 was still playing for Lyon. Yeah, yeah. Like who'd never been... I think for that price as well. He'd never gone to a big club or a big league. But it's not as if no big club had ever wanted him, is it? Mm. Well, no, but they hadn't wanted him enough to pay the fee. Yeah. And I was only really... But is that Jean-Michel Aulas rather than anyone else's fault? It was only ever Arsenal that was really in for him and that was basically down to the fact that Giroud was... Well, like, yeah, Diego Simeone was willing to... I mean, they thought they had that deal done at Letico, so... Yeah. I, mean, I, I agree, I'm interested to see him. It's a hell of a lot of money, 52 mil. Um, but it's it's one of those funny ones, isn't it? Whereas because he scored goals abroad, people are willing to kind of mm. pass it off a bit. Whereas with Marco Arnautovic, everyone's saying he's rubbish. Um, <laughs> any other big overpays for you, Miguel? Jordan Pickford for 30 million, do you like that? No, no, I think that's a decent deal. I think especially, you know, given... And I think when we, when we talk about the fees, this, this is a huge part of it as well. It's, it's like almost Real with Mbappe. Everyone going on about how big that is, but they're essentially paying for their future. Yeah. If he's there for 10 years, I, I mean, mm. I, I think that on the Pickford deal, mm. if he's there for 10 years, yeah, exactly. you're, you're and not paying that much per year. It's like the Rio Ferdinand deal exactly. when it happened. It, it is the best example I use, or Wayne Rooney. Yeah, said. and uh, yeah, and for and that Ferdinand, I remember, like, for, again, for all the talk about the, the price today, I, I Remember when that deal went through that summer? Just the, oh, that's ludicrous for a defender, you know. Again, football, football's gone mad type stuff. But looking at it now, it's one of the best pieces of business that Ferguson did. I do wonder if the price for Gilfie Sigurdsson might be getting a bit too high. Yeah, yeah. Like he is a really good player, good set pieces, but you know he's probably. I wonder if he's kind of peaking now or past his peak. If Everton were to pay as much as fifty million pounds for him, it's no, and we we had a piece from um, an analytics consultant who who had a look at it, and in, if you take out. A lot of the set pieces. I know his value is set pieces, mm. but the point is that you can get someone else who's very good at set pieces for a lot cheaper than fifty million pounds. Mm-hmm. They brought in Sandro, who is an incredible set piece taker. So I agree. I think the Sigurdsson thing. If you look at how many chances he actually creates from open play, what is he providing you when he's on the ball outside the, the set piece situation? Long shots. And also, <laughs> I don't think uh, I think he's a guy who you have to build your team around yeah. as a number yeah. ten. And, and I don't good, see yeah. how you can play him. Rooney, Sandro and Klassen together. And Swansea, uh, if they sell him for £50 million, obviously got to replace him with someone. They've bought a couple of, of kind of impressive guys, under-the-radar guys this summer. Uh, have you seen much of Roque Messer before? Not too much. I've heard very good things, though. Yeah, he's a very talented mm. player. Uh, he was at Las Palmas, which is a club that, I mean, it's very out the way mm. because it's three hours flight from mm-hmm. Madrid it, on Gran Canaria. He, Not a bad trip, though. He's a guy that it's a, it's a wonderful trip. And it, they played Barcelona at home during Carnival mm. last year, which was a great trip. But they are a club who brings through homegrown players. But Roque Messi's popped up on every kind mm. of statty sort of guy's radar mm. because his passing numbers are out, out of this world, basically. And they've got him for £11 million, which I think in Premier League money is a bargain. And yeah. some of these La Liga clubs, in Spain, they have to have release clauses. Mm. So... If you're shopping in La Liga, you can find a lot of bargains just by paying someone's release clause. And the club can't quote you 70 million like they do for yeah, Manny yeah. Um And I think we might see it again if someone goes for Jonathan Vieira from Las Palmas mm. later on this summer, which Swansea are, are rumoured as a replacement for Sigurdsson. Um, Spurs, who you mentioned, have been very quiet yet. Yeah, I think the, the problem that Spurs have got is that they've got an incredibly good team which works very well, to, where all the pieces work with each other. And therefore, like... It's quite difficult to improve that because you'd risk like the whole structure collapsing. Like there's so much synergy mm-hmm. uh, in place there that you can't like. It's not it's not simple to replace part with part, especially when you have a wage structure like the one player. You know, for example, Thomas Lamar, who Arsenal really want. Spurs asked the question about Thomas Lamar, and they couldn't have got him without making him their highest paid player. Like he would have wanted a hundred plus thousand pounds a week, and that means they're kind of in a bit of a bind. Like I'm sure they they will buy right back. 
because they need one because you know the Trippier can't do it all by himself. But even then, when they looked at Ricardo Pereira at Porto, you know they it kind of got complicated with the agent and they couldn't get the deal done. So I th- I think they probably will also get Ross Barkley, but mm. I fear he could be the kind of Sissoko of this summer, like a guy they get at the end of the window because they can and he knows the prem and he might give them something a bit different. Um, uh, Barkley Barkley is a weird one because notionally he's he should be incredibly desirable. He's mm-hmm. a kind of a attacking player, a flair player who is yeah. one of supposedly one of the best young English players around. But he's been priced out of the market by his club. Mm-hmm. Ronald Koeman said he's going to sell him, he wants him out and you know if he's not going to sign a new contract he's done. That's a weird saga. What do you make of what do you make of Barkley as a player and what do you think of I'm not a huge fan of him. I think it's always a bad sign when he's not much better now than he was at 18. Yeah. Like right, I don't think sure. he's improved a lot. And I think that says quite a lot about his brain. Like, I just don't think that he's... I don't really think he's learned. Like, may, maybe he was indulged by Roberto Martinez. Yeah, there's probably a bit of... Um, although, in saying that, I do think he will actually give Spurs... I mean, the one thing I have to think about Spurs last season, that, particularly when Kane wasn't in the team, is that there was just something very blunt about how they played. And they could just do that, that little bit of that, that difference, that kind of almost off-the-cuff creativity. And I, I, yeah, and or not even subtly. Just, just, it's just that something... Well, suddenly, yeah, they could do that as well. But even from the other side, something just suddenly out of nowhere. And I think Barkley will provide that. And I do think that Pochettino could have a good effect on them in that sense as well. So it's why I actually think that deal could work. I think Pochettino has always seen Barkley as someone he would love to get his hands on mm. and love to improve as a player. And I think, I mean, and you can kind of see why, because he is big and strong and direct and he goes yeah. forward and he has all those Pochettino things. But I think one thing he could do is he could, he's actually one of the few players in the Premier League I've seen who might just be able to do something like what Moussa Dembele does. Yeah, yeah. But Dembele has such a unique role, the way that he kind of gets the ball under pressure, wriggles out of challenges, runs forward with the ball. You have to be seriously good to be able to yeah. do that. He's much but better defensively than Bark. He now, is, he is. Yeah. But, but maybe that's what Pochino can teach. But uh-huh. what, what you can't teach is that kind of that physical power yes. through the middle mm. of the pitch. Yeah, yeah. And Barkley has that. And so maybe Pochettino thinks that if things go well for him, mm. Barkley might be able to become that type and of I player. And I do think in the coaching sense, Poch is one of the better in, the better guys in the league for actually coaching a player into yeah. what he wants. Oh, right. it, it, especially if you're under the age of 24, I think, then you still have scope to improve. But like, is there any other, but Conte's probably the only manager at the moment that you go to. Uh, and Barkley has been linked with Manchester United, who's one club that we haven't actually managed to mention uh, throughout. So just to wrap things up, what do you think of their summer so far out of 10? And what do you think uh, they need to do to really have a successful window? Uh, it's probably only seven at the moment. That's only because of the fact, really, that they've... Um, so much so much. the perception has changed because they managed to kind of beat Chelsea or to hijack Chelsea's move for Lukaku. So that kind of changed the mood of it. But yet Mourinho still... I know he's still... He, pretty irritated that he hasn't got in all the signings yet he really wanted Perisic and I think he's, he himself is still flabbergasted that it hasn't been done uh, he really wants a defensive midfielder and then there's talk of one other coming in Some, there's, there's been a lot of murmurings about kind of a mystery mega deal that United are working on and we do know that we, we were talking about earlier in terms of kind of star power PSG but Woodward's always always wanted this in, in, term, in terms of uh, what it does for the club's commercial appeal and further growth uh, so I think they still need they definitely need a defence midfielder I think because I mean what I've been told that Mourinho had made all these plans these tactical plans based on the players he's coming in, he, he, he wants he to bring in, in yeah. and if he doesn't get two of them then he has to adjust again and then we might see a bit like last season that kind of compromise United and Mourinho too often falling back on his kind of inherent um in, 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 you know, his inherent traits like like in, like in the City game they're all away from home well we'll just go as defensive as possible whereas Mourinho does have 
players he trusts and knows, and knows he can do. They, they, his teams tend to be a bit more expansive. Uh, and Jack, do you think Lukaku in for, for as a Zlatan replacement is enough really to propel them from sixth back up the table? Uh, have you seen enough improvement from them to? I mean, they should be challenging for the title, right? They're Manchester United. Yeah, like I love Lukaku. I think he's a great player. I don't think he himself is enough to make United from to make United challenge for the title this year, uh, because there are just other problems mm. with the team. Like you know, uh, they don't create. You know, they haven't been creating enough chances. They're not really good enough midfield. Um, and I think that I think that I mean the evidence is that for Mourinho to win the title, he kind of needs every almost every piece in the jigsaw to yeah. be perfect now. Like he needs top players in every position, and for the moment they don't have that yet. The one interesting thing, though, is if he persists with this. Expo- right, like last season, one of the main problems is that they played Zlatan up front all the time, and it made their play quite predictable. And Zlatan is quite stationary at this point. Lukaku is a bit more mobile, but what's interesting is that he's been experimenting with Rashford and Lukaku front the season. And if if the two of them are kind of running off each other and Pogba's pinging, pinging those passes, then they, they, there could be a little bit more to them in attack at least. Okay, uh, Miguel, thank you very much for coming for this today. Uh, Jack, again, thank you for your time. Uh, this was episode zero of the Indie Football Podcast. Join us next time for our big season preview. Uh, if you want to get a listener question in for those first couple of episodes, then please leave a review on iTunes uh, with your question at the bottom. Uh, if it's five stars, I'm just telling you it's got more chance of being read out. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you next time. And until then, thank you for having us. I've been Ed Mallion. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.